just be curious. Um, because where you think your career is going is definitely not where it's going. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cloud Machine Podcast. My name is Matt Landry, and in this 20th episode, I'm here with Barry Schiffman. Throughout this podcast, we discuss classical music in 2023, Barry's origin story, his tenure at Banff Center, Rockport Music Festival, and general topics ranging from tips for emerging artists and students to legacy. We also play a new game called Dream Fest. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Cloud Machine Podcast. For those who are new to the podcast, Cloud Machine is about the music industry and its stakeholders, meaning everybody that works in it, lives it, loves it, and surrounds it. Our goal is to shine a light on roles, people, and realities of the music industry that are often forgotten or taken for granted. Whether you're someone that's dreaming about making a movie in the industry, have some songs recorded and don't know what to do with them, or just a listener that wants to learn more, you're at the right place. This week, I have the immense pleasure of welcoming fam- a family member to the podcast. And get ready for this bio, because it's a hefty one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Internationally acclaimed violinist and violist, Barry Schiffman, is well-respected as a musician, educator, and administrator. He was co-founder of the St. Lawrence String Quartet, and since 2010, has been both the associate dean and director of chamber music at the Glenn Gould School, and director of the Phil and Eli Taylor Performance Academy for Young Artists at the Royal Conservatory of Music. During his 17 years with the St. Lawrence String Quartet, he appeared in over 2,000 concerts in venues around the globe and recorded several critically acclaimed discs under an exclusive contract with EMI Classics. While in St. Lawrence String Quartet, Schiffman served as an artist-in-residence at Stanford University from 1998, before I was born, by the way, (laughs) to 2006, and as visiting artist at the University of Toronto from 1995 to 2006. He's also served in numerous roles at the BAMP Center, including Director of Music Programs from 2006 to 2010, Artistic Director of the Center's Summer summer Classic Music Programs from 2010 to 2016, and since 2006, the Executive Director of the BAMP International String Quartet Competition. (laughs) During his tenure at the BAMP Center, he introduced new programming in classical music performance, composition, popular music, and jazz, and oversaw the dramatic growth of the BAMP International String Quartet Competition, which we're going to talk about today. From 2009 to 2017, he was the ex- Executive Artistic Director of Music in the Morning Concert Society in Vancouver, including his role with the organization in July of 2017. He is now the Artistic Director of Rockport Music in Massachusetts, overseeing all classical pro- programming for the organization, including a five-week summer chamber music festival that's coming up. He received his formal studies at the Royal Conservatory in Toronto, University of Toronto, Utrecht Conservatory, Hart School of Music, Juilliard School, and Yale University. Barry Schiffman is the recipient of the Longy School's Nadia Boulanger Prize for Excellence in the Art of Teaching and an Honorary Doctorate from the University of Calgary. Gotta take a breath after that one, Barry. Um, so, <laughs> without further ado, please welcome Barry Schiffman to the podcast. All right, Barry. How are you? Well, man, that was a that was a hell of an introduction. Well, I don't know where you found that. I don't have a website, so so congratulations for your googling. And, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. Hey, I found it online. All so, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you feel about just like even just listening to? to you know, it's, it's actually pretty funny. Uh, you know, I I I mentor all these young artists on having websites and and having uh, access to their their bios and their photos. And and strangely, um, I don't actually take care of that 
stuff for my myself. So <laughs> yeah. um, I have this uh, this fear of looking backward of of, yeah, of nostalgia, yeah. and it's it's a serious thing. Like I don't. Um, when I left the quartet, as an example, I put all our posters from our tours in tubes, and I had boxes of music, and I haven't opened those. Right, right. Um, and I, I don't know what that's about, but um, I think some of that is is um, you know, you're a musician. You know, when you you invest so much in a tour in a project, and um, and it's exhilarating, right? Like it's you, you just feel that. And it's you can never go back and touch what that was. That that you know the intensity of that. So for me, it's better. It's done. We go on and right. and just focus on what's what's right in front of you. And there's that uh, you know. I was, it's even at music festivals. I was I, I would often and I still do this. Um, I'll I'll just leave after the final. Like I being at the festival the morning after the festival is over. Mm. I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. That quiet. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want. I'm, I'm gone. Right, right. And it's the same way. So I don't. I don't look <laughs> yeah. backwards. There you go. Do you, th- do you think you'll ever have that moment, like that time where you go back in those boxes and those those posters? You know, uh, actually, um, lately. So um, this year, um, uh, I lost my 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 best friend, my closest colleague, which was the um, first violinist of the Saint Lawrence Quartet, which I was in for 18 years, Jeff, um, and and because of his passing. Um, it feels like there's a, um, there is actually some, some comfort in immersing yourself in in nostalgia and in memory. So right. I look, I'm looking at them, and I'm, you know, I, I think, yeah, soon I'll, I'll, I'll crack, <laughs> crack them open and there more, to, more to touch the memory of, of of him. I'll start the the, the podcast with a question that we often um, ask on the podcast, uh, which is, and we, because we've been thinking about uh, talking about it just now, um, your favorite concert experience as a musician um do you have a maybe a, a memory on that or just a fond kind of experience that you, you could think back on now yeah there are there are a couple but um i think <laughs> i think it's a weird it's a weird i think maybe uh, one of the uh, most memorable uh, performing experiences i had was um, early days in the saint lawrence quartet when we were doing one of our our first European tours. We were pretty unknown, um, but it was a big deal to get this tour. Mm-hmm. And um, we were, uh, you know, taking on tour standard classical pieces, Mozart, Bartok, Beethoven, all this you know, the stuff that we 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 know as part of the canon of, of classical chamber mm-hmm. music. But we were also really, really psyched about um, performing this piece of the Canadian composer R. Murray Schaefer. And Schaefer, who passed a few years ago, um, was a legendary f- uh, figure in, not just in classical music, but in, in aesthetics and in music in general. Real inspiration to the dead. They, mm. they, like, they read his book and they, they sent him all their um, CDs. And like they were, re- you know. So he wrote these pieces that were um, theatrical, inspired by soundscapes of, of our cities, of our, of our, of our um, rural places. And this particular piece he wrote for us was was just over. I mean, sorry, he didn't write it for us, but that, that we were playing was just over the top. It involved um, you know, musicians entering from various parts of the hall. One movement of just screaming at each other in rhythm, like ah, cha, 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 sort of right, in, right, sort of eliciting um, uh, sounds that, that that might be connected to um, Inuit throat singing. It was over okay. the top, right, um, and. And we knew we had something great in this piece, 
but we'd never met the composer. I had written to him. He's a super analog guy. Like, he didn't respond. I, I said, we'd love to work on this piece with you, Murray. Okay, fine. Nothing. We go to uh, Europe. We go to Paris. We check into our hotel. Our plane was late. Literally, we have to drop our stuff at our hotel, get on a train, go to Le Mans, concerts at 7 o'clock that night. In the hotel lobby, there's Murray Schaefer, the composer. We've never met. He's never responded to anything. <laughs> like, what the heck are you doing? He's, oh, you know, well, you sent me that note and said you're playing, in, and I, I happen to be in Paris, so I thought, okay, whatever. We have a million Whoa. questions for you about this piece. So we go, and we sit on the train with him, and he starts to talk us through the piece. and, and On the way and, to the concert. Yeah, sorry, yeah, and everything we had kind of been doing, he was really into. Like, we were a super extrovert group. And so it was super exaggerated. And we go to Le Mans, we play Mozart, and we present this quartet of Murray. And I had never seen a reaction to music like we saw. People went crazy, like standing and screaming with excitement at the end of this piece, which was, you know, this was, a, this was, this was overwhelming. So for us, we'd never seen, and, and it was a, a lesson like, well, we thought that the main event was like that Beethoven quartet. Right, right. No, the main event was they were super psyched about this music of Schaefer. And then um, the next uh, day we're supposed to play in Paris. And Paris called and said, oh, we don't like that program. We, we just heard you guys did that great thing in Le Mans. And suddenly. It was, um, yeah. And, and so I think, you know, for us that was really exciting and um, a great lesson in, um, in the power of, of new music mm. and um yeah, and that I think that that concert was one of the the most electric ones of our of our career. Amazing. Did you have a discussion with Murray afterwards? Oh yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we had we had a fantastic um, uh, discussion with him and relationship, and uh, eventually he wrote um, a couple different works for us, and uh, we we maintained a really close relationship with him. He's uh, and he was an extraordinary um, person. Um, if you don't if you don't know his book, The Tuning of the World. Mm. That's a really wonderful book on on the power of of soundscape wow. in our lives. Okay, that's that's amazing. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, I'll ask you an, another question. Um, as a fan, or as just a concert goer, do you have a do you have a memory or an experience that sort of resonates with you right away when I ask you that? Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. It's, Sure. And I know there's so many for, for both as a musician and as a fan or a concert goat here, but um, one that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, you mean that I've attended, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Um, absolutely. There was this uh, concert I went to. I mean, you talked about most of my career being before you were born. This was definitely before you were born. Um, so this would have been probably in the late 80s, early 90s, um, at a concert in Toronto at the Jane Mallet Theatre. I'm pretty sure it's Jane Mallet, which is St. Lawrence Centre for the Arts. And there was a presentation of this legendary pianist, um, Borzhovsky. And he came from that, that other world. Like, we're thinking what we imagine as, as 19th century virtuoso, and he was a kind of godlike, legendary, but he was in his 
90s at this sure, point. Like, sure, sure. I, I just couldn't believe that Horjowski was going to take this. Like, he was really old. I don't know, 95, 94, whatever it was. Wow, wow, wow. Like, really old. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was like, oh, my God, Horjowski's in town. Horjowski. So, you know, we knew him from recording. We'd go to this concert. And we're, we're sitting and waiting for this guy to come out and play. And, and this old man kind of shuffles on stage, but, like, takes a half a step. And then... You see this hand from behind the curtain literally push him forward. And it was his wife. And she was pushing him forward to go and do it. You can do it. Wow, he walked okay. on stage slowly. He sat down and it was just mesmerizing, beautiful performance. And at the end, he didn't really stand up and bow like normal. It was almost like we were in... Either he didn't, um, he didn't want to, or he didn't have the energy to, or it was more like we were in his living room, and here's this guy with a hundred years of experience, and we're just, we're just hanging out, and he's just like this. So the concert experience became something very different than than I'd ever been at, right. and uh, yeah, and there, you know, there's there's something to be said about. Ninety-five years of experience playing oh, yeah. certain repertoire is just—it's just, it was just <laughs> extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Well, amazing. Um, two great stories there. Um, we're moving on to the second question here, which is more on the music business side of things. Oh, yeah. And I know we've we've had some discussions sure. over the past couple months about where you think the music business is at. This, especially in your world, in the classical music world, um, I often bring up this quote from Erica Badu. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, music and music business are two different things. Um, just general, or your general thoughts on that. I know it's a very general quote as well. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's, um, it's a double-edged sword, the idea of engaging with um, the business side of the music or the creative industry yeah. um, in a certain sense because... Um, I think in 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 art music, whether it be uh, you know indie songwriting or or, or 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 jazz or classical, whatever we want to define as art music, as opposed to a purely um, commercial product, um, I think there's a fear of the creative process being driven by a um, a very overt business objective. Yeah. But that's all BS. Because actually, once you get down to it, every creative artist I know um, is engaged very directly with that part of the equation. Yeah. I've commissioned all sorts of extraordinary art composers uh, that, that write, you know, uh, classical. But there's a, there's, you know, there's a, Three-page contract, four-page contract, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That art composer still has to pay their rent. At exactly. The end of the month. So, <laughs> yeah. so sure. I, I think, um, I think the 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 idea of the business end of 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 the creative industry is um, is fine to embrace and should be embraced openly. Mm. It just shouldn't be allowed to um, cloud the. Uh, the core activity, which is that um, 
that joyous, crazy, creative energy that we see, you know, in young people particularly, mm-hmm. um, and 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 off they go. Right. Um, the um, the 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 type of of um, presentations, the type of of, of concert. Um, and engagement with concerts that that uh, I think we're going to see moving forward, I think will be significantly changed, um, yeah, particularly yeah. in the well, I don't know, I mean, in the classical music world for sure. Um, my theory is that that um, uh, that people are not craving the actual music to the degree that we think they're craving the music; they are craving community. Um, we saw that with what Drake created, right? He, in his new space, yeah, smaller experience. Of course, his name, so he can present it to anybody. People come, but it's about the venue being something that gives a sense of of a community experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the same thing in classical music. What um, what do people really crave? They crave community, and we see that. Where are the where are the the, the pockets of really explosive growth in mm-hmm. classical music? Um, it's not in the symphonic concerts, although um, those are doing okay in some markets. It's in the summer, uh, small festivals. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, little chamber music festivals in Perry Sound, Ontario, or there you go. wherever. Right, that are that have that suddenly are becoming four, five, six week presenters, uh, million dollar budgets, um, and there are many of them across North America. Yeah, like I work. One in, in Rockport, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And and so people come. They might engage with four, five, six concerts, uh, a meal with the artists. Um, food is becoming um, a celebrated part of yeah, the experience. Yeah. But I think we're looking at experiences as opposed to uh, come and just take in a concert, right? Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm. Yeah, I think even in, in the the pop world and other world here, uh, a lot of people are now craving more experiences, community, as you're saying as well. Yeah. VIP. I don't know if, if you have any VIP stories on the classical world. I'm not from that that world. Are, are there more VIP experiences being offered? Because that's a whole other market now that we're seeing in yeah. in the more you know pop world. Yeah, we are that that has always existed in in classical music. Yeah, um, and and continues to. Mm-hmm. Um, we know from our uh, from studies that have been done around um, uh, philanthropic giving, right, which which the classical music world relies on a great I'm deal, sure. right? Like, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, a, a, a typical model might be, you know, a, a third ticket sales, a third government, a third philanthropic. Well, yeah. right, that's sort of a normal model in, in Canada. In the U.S., it might be fifty, fifty, fifty tickets, fifty philanthropic giving, like right. it's. So we know that from certain studies that um, uh, the VIP experience, particularly around parking and seats, right, um, drives philanthropic giving. Right. So you see VIP experiences. You know, go to the Metropolitan Opera, and um, you, know, you see where the limos pull up. Right. Park outside of the venue, kind of thing. Get your seat. Uh, yeah. Closer to and the stage. maybe, yeah. maybe you know, maybe it's a. A dinner with a certain artist before, so yes, absolutely. That's a that's a big part. I, it always has been, right? You know, look at the old um, concert halls of Europe, and they all have their royal 
boxes. And, yes, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. Going into also that um, maybe new tech and uh, advancements there and even social media. Um, we spoke r- even before we pressed record, but also at um, Bonnie's 50th um, birthday uh, a couple weeks ago about even some of your students sell or wanting tickets or selling out venues months ahead of time for for classical um concerts now yeah it's a it's a it's fascinating the the the, um the and i don't know um i don't know what it is that um that differentiates one successful um, online profile from another i i don't understand that world right but i have um former students and former young artists i've worked with who have become TikTok sensations, sure, um, and it's it's incredible to see. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kristen Toshko, uh, who is a harpist, I met her as a classical harpist. That's what I know her as. She's the most successful harpist online in the world, and she's <laughs> signed with you know all the big people representing online content creators. And you go and you you see Kristen playing a little bit of something and. A million people just viewed that. Right, right, right. Fantastic. Right. You know, I just think that is so fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a flutist in the Glen Gould School um, who I know as a flutist in the Glen Gould School. I know her work in the orchestra. I know her audition. I, and then I discover, oh, she has um, you know, 35,000 people following her on TikTok. I, sure. I don't have 35,000 people following the school. Sure, sure, But yeah. isn't that fantastic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and um, isn't there uh, an, amazing, an amazing possibility there? And yes, I, I yeah. love it when I see um, content creators that are uh, creating real content that is actually popping, that aren't doing dumbed down, you know, mm. crap, but are actually just a window into their world. Right. They're just, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Was there a, a moment in time there where social media hadn't popped yet and maybe like commercial music was so valued that where I'm getting at is that now with this, with, with this window into the world of classical music through social media, are you seeing, are there more ticket sales now than, than, than over the past like 10 to 15 years or I mean, 10 to 15 years, social media was, was still very present, but I'm thinking late nineties to like Mm -hmm. early two thousands there. Was there like, um, with the lack of social media, but with just music or popular music um, being yeah. s- at, the, at its height. Yeah. So it's such a hard, uh, hard thing to really um, analyze. But right. definitely the the experience I had growing up in music yeah. was so vastly different than than what I see now. And and that period you mentioned you know, 90s through the early 2000s, uh, that was still a period of record sales. Yes, yeah, yeah. People were buying recordings. Right. Um, and um, an artist would come and play and then there would be a record signing after and there would be, a, you know, a <laughs> hundred, you know, even Roy Thompson Hall had a really active record store in the lobby. Right, it was mm-hmm. a big thing. You'd go and you buy the recordings of the artist, right? Um, and that that was an exciting time. And stars were uh, 
um, being created by by recording industry. Um, and uh, in fact, we in my my own experience in the St. Lawrence Quartet, we touched just the tail end of that when we right. with EMI. Um, but it's all changed. Mm. So I don't think people are buying recordings like they were. Yeah. Um, the um, vast availability of listening online is is fantastic. We've just lost the tactile collector set. You know, it was already crappy when we went to the CD. Yeah. First of all, they sounded like crap, but also the the packaging was just so brutal. Mm. You know, I, I'm I'm old. I'm, I remember the days when you buy an LP. Yeah. And the cover art was really exciting. The, yeah, yeah. The oh, yeah. big liner notes were really liner exciting. Notes, yeah. Um, the engagement at every level before you actually listen to music, I think, was all part of the success. Right. Um, Going to the store, buying the LP, having yeah. that conversation, you know, exactly. taking the plastic off. Yeah. yeah having yeah. the conversation, that's a big one. Yeah. So today, the conversation is online and algorithmically drive, driven. You know, you, they know I like this, so they right. And that's all fine. I have no problem with that. Yeah. But that's a different experience than, you know, going to Sam the Record Man on Young Street when yes. he existed or any, like we're talking, you know, a long time ago. And, you know, some crazy, wonderful salesperson, yeah, you yeah. know, who everybody knew, oh, did you get that? And he's right. like, oh, you're checking out that Shostakovich recording of, you know. Right. That orchestra. And like, you should check this out. This is really cool. Right, and, yeah. And he wasn't selling. Yeah, yeah. It's just like sharing, like, this is really cool. Right, right. And you, oh, okay. You know, you come yeah, home yeah. with three, four things and you're like, okay. Yeah, yeah, Right. And yeah. so it was that active engagement on a very one-to-one level, which yeah. um, which I remember. And I, I guess that happens now in just in, in vastly different ways. Yeah. I think we're, 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 we're seeing a resurgence of tac- more tactile things. Mm-hmm. Um but it's still not yet. Uh, we, I don't know in what format, uh, specifically music, will 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 be coming in into the tactile form because we're seeing some vinyl resurgence. Yeah. Although it's slowing down a little bit very lately, um, but vinyl is definitely coming back. Tape, some tape is coming back. You mentioned growing up in Toronto. Um, I just want to get into this first topic here. <laughs> I mean, we've been we've been talking for what uh, already. 25 minutes here but um my number one topic in my in in my notes here is your origin story and i, I always say origin story because i have a big background in superheroes and stuff uh, but <laughs> your origin story so just talk to me about where what you grew up here yeah um, yeah so i you know i grew up in the north part of, of toronto north york um in a family with um i mean you know you know my family um, yeah. and so five sisters and uh my dad at the time uh, was um uh, an amateur violinist, um, really committed to education. So music was in the in the house. Right. right. We all had to take piano lessons, and we knew that you know Dad also played violin. And um, I had five sisters. I was the only the only um, you know boy in the house. And I think you just want to do what your dad um, does, right? So, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, he played violin. I knew that there was a small violin in the house somewhere that um, he had bought for one of my sisters, and she didn't like it, and I always wanted to, I want to try that. I want to, no, you're not big enough when you're six, when you're six, when you're six. And so, you know, I just kept asking for it, for this thing. And eventually he brought down the little violin that had been bought for my sister, Corey. 
and uh, and I took to it. I think I took to it because um, because of adversity. My dad was not well, so he was home um, every day. Right. And so um, the flip side of that um, that what could be a sad story was I got a lesson every day. Right. And as a young kid, sure. uh, it's almost impossible to learn music on a in a successful way with a lesson for a half an hour once a week, right? That's really tough. Yeah. That, you know, we, thankfully online there's, there's support now, so you can, you can. Yeah, yeah, but in those, So I would just, I progressed really quickly. And, uh, um, and I, you know, I, I think I, I think I loved it or I think I loved being good at something. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, at, at an early age too. Yeah, but I don't think I really engaged with what, like tasting what actual um, what music really was, or 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 um, until um, like I remember working on this um, Beethoven Spring Sonata, which is a very beautiful piece, but I only was learning the violin part, mm -hmm. so I had not put it together with, with with the pianist, and that's where you know that's where the piece becomes magical, right? And I remember. First time I played through it with this pianist, I just, it was overwhelming. Like, I just couldn't believe how, how wonderful this was. I just wanted to keep going over it, over it, and over it because right. it was just so awesome. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. Oh, this yeah. is, you know, this is. And so I think, um, yeah, I was quite touched by that experience and, mm. and, and uh, just took off. Can I ask, when you were, when you were practicing, um, were you practicing with a uh, piano track or? Great question. No, no. Okay. So you were just learning just from learned. the page. Yeah. Just the just the violin part. Yeah. Had you heard the 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 piano I part had before? Not. Okay. I had not, okay. and I, yeah. as an educator, I'm thinking like, what was my dad like? Why didn't you play? You know. Yeah. But sure, sure. whenever he was focused on the violin part, yeah. um, you know, in later in later um, experiences, yeah, I do remember. Um, going down to the the record store with my dad and, and him buying um, what was called music minus one recording. So like if you're learning right. a little, you know, yes, Bach yeah, concerto, yeah, yeah, yeah. you could buy just the orchestra part. It it never really worked um, well <laughs> because like, you know you couldn't really sync it up. Um, there are some amazing advances in that. Like I have seen some things in the beta testing. Um, oh uh, my gosh! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whoa. Coming up on the podcast in a couple of weeks, I'm talking about the new. Uh, it's called Apple Sing. I don't know. Have you? Have I haven't you... seen it. No. Okay, I I recently discovered this like a couple of days ago, but now on Apple Music, yeah, you can take out the vocal from any song oh. and and sing along and sing along like a karaoke kind of thing. So you can have a night with the lyrics Whoa. there, and you can have a night on your laptop or whatever at home, and you could just. <laughs> sing with your Whoa, apple that is crazy but any but i don't know if it, every song has that feature but you could just take out what That's i don't awesome. know what they do is like yeah. a, maybe like an eqing and frequency taking yeah. out like that that bandwidth yeah um it's wild that's wild well you yeah. know in 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 the classical world yeah um so let's say you're playing a concerto with orchestra right yes yeah. so the the you know you don't get much time to rehearse with the orchestra so you rehearse the concerto with the orchestra part being played by a pianist Right, okay. and so you go to an or you know you're playing Tchaikovsky concerto. You, you book a pianist, and and you pay them, and you have a couple rehearsals, and the pianist plays the orchestra part. Okay. Now you can with this software, you can actually rehearse with an orchestra, 
and the orchestra follows you. So I slow down the orchestra, slow down. I speed up the orchestra, speeds up. It's like AI glued to my right. Um, <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Right. Uh, right. And the, can you isolate like specific instruments from that orchestra? Or I, I haven't seen that, but I think that's just they haven't put that in. But I right. think you can. Right. I, I think the the. What's going to happen in that world is going to be pretty, um, pretty extreme pretty soon. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, we we are uh, yeah, especially in the orchestral world, mm. uh, very um, dinosaur-like organizations. Just they move slowly, they change slowly. They're still on paper music. Um, yeah, all of that sort of thing. Like, there'll be there'll be very big changes coming. Yeah, I I'm having a bunch of ideas now. With, with that, with what you're talking about. We could talk about that yeah. uh, later on. Um, again, back to your origin story here. How was the arts and culture scene in school? Did you go to... Uh, I went to a regular just public, school, public school. And there was a vibrant um, scene of music. The, yeah, music. Everybody sang in the choir. The music teacher was, you know, was beloved. The, the public school put on... Um, musicals at the end of the year. Yeah, um, I was, you know, the the good violinist in the school, so like, you know, they do fiddle on the roof, and I would play the violin part, <laughs> sure, you know. Sure. But but it was a normal thing that you you all did music, and then right. you went to grade seven, and you you either did strings or you did band, and some people were were, were really good at that, and right. and the bands were touring, and then if you were really good, you chose certain high schools had even better music. Program. Yes, yeah, and it was vibrant, yeah. and from that program so many musicians right and and in the pop world in the classical world in the jazz world they all came through that system yeah and uh it's decimated you know there's no nice way to say it um decisions have been made and continue to be made um daily weekly that just have undercut what was i think you know one of the one of the great music Programs that I'd seen. Yeah. Uh, and where was this? Sorry. This was in Toronto, but this is a, right. you know this is across across the oh, province yeah, yeah. and across the country. Yeah. Um, public education investment in in the arts is is awful. Yeah. And and so we're seeing that you know um, take a look at at brass players. So mm. brass players, you know, they'd get introduced to the inter- instrument sort of. Oh, grade seven, eight, nine, yeah, ten, yeah, yeah. and that's not happening. So we're, you know, um, we're seeing huge declines in yeah. in, um, in the marketplace, and it's it's so sad, it's so unforgivable. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, you know, at the Royal Conservatory where I work, we have, you know, a spectacular uh, orchestra. It's the best young classical players in the country, and. And it's really sensational. Yeah. And they put on a concert, Kerner Hall, and lots of people come, and it's it's just it's fantastic. Um, but to address this whole idea that young people were not aware of music in the schools, we we started to um, engage with the schools this year and have them bring in hundreds of kids to the dress rehearsal, um, which is a you know it's a lot of work. Um, it's really important work. Yeah. And so the last concert we had. Um, uh, Bill Edens, an extraordinary conductor, used to conduct in Edmonton Symphony, one of the few black conductors in classical music. Um, 
in our world, unforgivably. So that's also um, an important um, uh, inspiration to so many. Yeah. Um, and so we thought, okay, let's let's reach out to this. As we brought in several hundred kids from the TDSB um, into Kerner Hall, that amazing hall at the Royal Conservatory, uh, which just in and of itself is so beautiful. And what I was so happy with 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 Bill Eddins, the great conductor, he's like, okay, look, um, I'm Bill Eddins. I conduct this. What I do? Sat down, chat. Going to play the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra because that's on the concert tonight, and we're going to play through the whole thing for you right now. And I thought, what is he nuts like? Bartok Concerto for Orchestra is hard listening for right. for anybody, <laughs> right. but for like, he's sure. going to just play twenty five. Like, they were mesmerized. Yeah, it was amazing to see. Like, no dumbing down. Just wow. Yeah, the power of something great in front of. And these were not all music students. These were just just kids. And yeah. and uh, why is that not happening in all this? Like, uh, makes me crazy. Mm. It is a it is a a crime to bore young people. Yeah. And of course, there's some excellent work happening in, in public education. Of course, there's, but there is a significant amount of young people being bored. Yeah. And that is. That's unforgivable. Mm. That's unforgivable. Yeah, yeah. And if, if for me, coming from the French public side, is even less funny. So. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Oh, I, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. it, the, the, the hierarchy where I'm coming from, from Sudbury, was uh, like English Catholic, English public, and then French Catholic, and then French public. Yeah, sure. Um, In Ontario, for sure. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, uh, it's... Uh, I could we, we could talk about that for yeah. So there's lots of work to be done there, yeah, and no, I I, yeah. I do see where the um, the industry is um, is stepping up, right? Mm -hmm. So we see lots of examples of that, right? There are yeah. instrument buying programs. Um, the Grammys involved in that. The Juno's involved in that. Um, Sarah McLaughlin School in in BC, like people are are stepping up. Yeah. Um, but it all starts in schools for me. Starts in schools. Um, and if 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 the kids need to discover it themselves, they probably will not yeah. pick up the trombone or, or whatever it right. is, you know. Right. Um, unfortunately, uh, but yeah, I, I, no, there's there's and there there's you know uh, I remember um, actually I remember you mentioned my sister Bonnie. Um, uh, I remember her calling me once, and she had um, you know. She didn't really come to many of my concerts when I was in the quartet. She was a busy young person. I didn't expect her to come to concerts. Um, but we played a lot in town. And a lot of those concerts were recorded by CBC and then they'd be broadcast, right? In those right. days, all came live concert. And she's like, no, I was using the radio and there was this incredible piece. I was like, what is this? This is the coolest thing ever. And then I heard it. It was your quartet playing a bar talk quartet. <laughs> I didn't know you did stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Like, that's just so... Powerful, like you put a Bartok quartet, mm. which is so visceral and so in front of young people, and they're like, "This is engaging." This yeah, is cool. yeah, yeah, totally. It also speaks to the fact, and still today, that some of your the closest people to you um, won't know what you're doing unless you tell them. Right, and it happens. It happens, it happens yeah. to me all the time. Yeah, of course. Uh, and not to not to shade any like. There's nothing, it's not, not necessarily negative. It's just how it is. It is it's how just, it is, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, from high school, 
to university. Um, what was what was the journey there? You obviously auditions. Yeah, that was a. I mean, I was. Uh, I didn't follow a kind of uh, normal um, trajectory. Um, yeah. And that was more because of of a desire to get out of a pretty dysfunctional home situation. Yeah. Um, so I applied to University of Toronto um, quite young, um, and kind of you know under the um, argument of okay, I have extraordinary ability in music and I'm smart, so I can handle the academic courses. Please, God, let me in. I need to get the hell out of my house yeah. and I can get into U of T and I could get government support and. And um, so at first they said no. Sure. Um, and what, at what age? That was is... like I was 15 at that time. Okay. Well. And they, they they said, okay, you there's no question musically, yeah, you could, but no. Right. Um, and then there's the, like by the most ridiculous um, circumstances they had, in, remember everything's analog those days, no digital um, online stuff. Mm-hmm. So they would publish the requirements to get a university in a book called the University of Toronto Calendar or Program. Right. And uh, we read through that, and my dad noticed an error. He's like, wait, it says, because in those days you could get in with grade 12. Right. Or grade 13. Right. If you wanted to go into music, um, you could have either completed grade 12 or completed grade 13, or you could have five of the required six courses of grade 13. They said, well, we don't need all six because we don't need you to take an arts course. So you can you can apply with grade 12, grade 13, or five grade 13 subjects. That's what they meant to say. But what they wrote in the book was you can apply with a completed grade 12, a completed grade 13, or five grade 12 or 13 subjects, which is a complete mistake. Five grade 12 subjects? So we look at this, I'm like, wait a second. I can take any five grade 12 subjects and I can go to university. So I called the university. I said, is this? They're like, yeah, that's a mistake. I said, okay. But on page 11, it says that any errors in this publication will be valid for 365 days. <laughs> because they send it all around the world, right? Sure, sure, sure. So they said, yeah, we'll stand by that. I'm like, this was October, so I went to my guidance counselor. And you're in like 10th grade here? I was in grade 11. Grade so 11. I went to my guidance counselor. I said, uh, if I can be pushed into grade 12 in those courses, I can go to. He said, well, you got to go talk to the teachers. And I begged them. I was like, I'm grade 11 English. Please let me take grade 12 English. Right. So, and I, so I did that. And I, took the, and I just got out of high school and went to U of T. And, um, After grade 11. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, that was crazy. I was living downtown and... Uh, um, I was really young and I had no idea what the hell I was doing at university, but I was hanging out with all these interesting people and everything was interesting. And I started to get gigs and it like started actually making like money playing wedding gigs and hotel lobby gigs. And right. I was busy. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Sure. Um, and like, Amazing life experiences in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, you know. And then, so po- is it was it post university that you got into St. Lawrence? Yeah, so I was in like a lot less like later. Yeah, on. so you know, I finished uh, finished my undergrad at U at U of T, and then uh, went away and studied in in Holland, and then yeah, yeah, was gonna um, uh, go and do a master's um, here. Um, actually, I was uh, looking at at um, doing that in the U.S. and yeah. um, and with another 
a friend of mine, Jeff, who, um, who I mentioned earlier, he mm-hmm. passed. Uh, we went together down to, to New York to audition. Yeah. Um, a master's program. And uh, oh, we, we went through the audition. It was all fine. And then after the audition, we were writing our, our, our like our theory and harmony tests. And God, he hated that stuff. And, and, he, <laughs> and he looked at me. I hate doing this stupid. It was just complaining. I'm like, yeah. I said, well, Jeff, like, <laughs> do you really actually want to be doing a master's degree for the next sure, year? Sure, sure. No. I said, well, he goes, do you? I said, no. I said, he said, well, what the hell are we doing here? I said, I don't know. This is nuts. I said, let's get out of here. So we just stopped writing the exam and we left and we went to a bar, McLeod's Pub in, in on the west side of New York. There you go. And, and I'm like, what are we going to do now? I just want to play concerts, and he just wants to play concerts. And, and he goes, "Well, I got a couple of friends. And let's let's put a quartet. Let's let's put a quartet together." And he goes, "You know, you're good at organizing stuff. So you organize and and I'm like, oh, okay." And that's what we did. We we called up our our you know two friends that uh, that we knew, um, and I went to the Ontario Arts Council and and uh, and lied and told them that we'd been together for like two years and it was a great new group and. Mm. I think they knew we were lying, but they knew we were gifted, and they sure, they sure. flowed some money to us, and we started in fall of '89 in Toronto. Mm. Um, four really gifted people. We were supported by the Royal Conservatory and the University of Toronto, so we had a place to rehearse. We had great coaches, and we practiced or rehearsed literally six hours a day, six days a week. Yeah, um, and we were pretty scrappy, but we were gifted. And after a few months, we were getting some recognition. We applied different programs, and we got into some really excellent programs um, in the U.S. that were fully funded, and we moved to New York. And Wow, okay. In the fall of 90, we were, uh, yeah, we moved down to New York, and uh, and then we went through a series of these fully funded residencies where, like, the university or the Juilliard School paid your tuition, gave you a living stipend, gave you concerts, gave you coaching, um, gave wow. you a network. So we were two years at the Hart School, at the University of Hartford, we live in New York City. We were two years at the Yale University, and then we were two years at Juilliard. Wow. And at the same time, we were playing concerts and winning competitions, and we got management. And it was a fantastic, um, <laughs> fantastic ride. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we had no money, but we were like, man, we were happy. Yeah. And so after those three residencies. Yeah, six years. Um, After that, we... Um, did you move back here? No. And then it was, okay, now what the heck are we going to do? Because, <laughs> sure, sure, you know, yeah. we, we, yeah. we've signed with, uh, with EMI. Yeah. Uh, we have concerts. Um, we're still having, a trouble, having trouble just, like, actually making us any really significant income. Mm. Um, we're still young people. We're young. And, yeah. then, uh, and then we saw an ad uh, for a job or ensemble in residence at Stanford University. Okay, yeah. And we were in Mexico on tour, and I remember um, our manager calling us with it, and the application deadline was like in a few days, and we're like, whoa, ensemble in residence at Stanford, like, it just seemed too good to be true, right? right? So we put in the application, and uh, the best thing we ever did, and we... um, we were invited as you know one of the shortlisted groups. I think there were ninety some odd groups that applied, and well, we were shortlisted. We were naive, and uh, and you went to we went to Stanford. California. I remember calling calling Stanford, you know, before the um, 
before the uh, process of you have a, you have a full day at Stanford when they bring you as a shortlisted group and um, you know you get to perform and teach and uh, all this stuff. So I called them up. I said, well, you know, um, forgive me. A couple of questions. Uh, first of all, it doesn't say what we're going to be doing that day, mm. and it also doesn't really say anywhere what the job is. <laughs> so I said, you know, I don't, don't want to step. And so I, I, I called this um, this guy, Jonathan Berger, who was head of the search, a wonderful composer, now one of my dearest friends, and he, he, he was very quiet. He, he listened. He said, yeah, that's all intentional. Right. So your job now is to figure out what Stanford needs. What would an ensemble in residence actually be at Stanford University? How could that change? You envision what it is. You tell us what we need. And you have one day on campus to show us activities that would be part of this. There you go. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So we, and we, we did it. Uh, we, you know, we, we worked hard and tried to figure out what the university needed and, and, and went um, and had an amazing day. Um, focused a lot on, on the new music. Stanford had a hugely important um, new music creation scene. So we asked Stanford to send us five works of the graduate student composers that they would write for string quartet. And we would workshop those. And so we came to the university as one, one of our activities. We, we, we played these five new works, which were super difficult, like, like crazy difficult. Yeah. Um, but we worked our, our butts off on them. And so we, we were playing the music of these graduate composers at a level that they probably never heard their music. Right. right, sure. So they sure. were just like, "Oh, this is great." Yeah, right, right. Um, and uh, yeah, we got the we got the got the job, and that was um, that was residing. Yeah, in we California. moved. We moved to California. Yeah. We had each of us had our own studio. We had access wow. to the instrument collection. We had a full salary. We had um, a publicist that they hired for us in New York City at fifty thousand dollars a year. Wow. Um, Stanford has, I mean, and and unbelievable students that we were working with, and not students that were necessarily um, wanting to be musicians. Okay, but some were, but um, but we're all really good musicians, mm. but might be studying astrophysics or or this or that. Okay, um, but music was a big part of their life, and so we were working with you know the founders, the, pe- the people that were you know, creating Google. And, Facebook, and all that, all that was happening, right? Right, right. At at that time, in fact, my my one of my students, you know, she said, "Oh, Mr. Shipman, I I don't have time to continue to line in right now because I've, I joined this startup, and um, and I, I really need to focus on that." And that was Facebook. Wow. You know, okay. Like that was there one you of go. The, you know, when they came out, they met some Stanford kids, and yeah. So that that was that scene. Um, but Stanford was, uh, I think, my wife and I were there for. She became okay. director of performing arts there at one point. So she was putting on, uh, t- um, okay. yeah, she was like presenting all sorts of dance companies and theater companies and music. And, Amazing. Um, so it was a very rich scene and, um, yeah, an exciting time. And you met your wife in the States? No, I met her uh, in, in Canada. She was working um, in Vancouver for the series that I eventually started, started running years later. Um, and, uh, yeah, she was... Um, she was her first job out of school. She was just a, a you know a junior employee at Music in the Morning, and, and we would 
airplane concerts and nice. that was just, that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, now here I have the switch yeah. in my, in my notes, the year 2006, which would have been post a St. Lawrence. Yeah. That was a big change. Yeah. Um, I, and my a question here that I have, even before we get into the switch is, can you speak to the challenges of maintaining a sustainable like, career as a musician? Um, between performing and also now making the switch to more of an educator role here yeah. as well. Um, yeah, so 2006, so we were at Stanford, as I said, it was pretty pretty lovely time. Yeah. Um, but it was also, I, I um, so just to give you a little window, and so at that time, the St. Lawrence Quartet was doing about 110 concerts a year um, internationally. Yeah. In addition, every time we would come home, teaching our butts off at Stanford to catch up for, you know. Um, it was unsustainable, I thought, for me. Sure, yeah. I mean, yes. And um, so I basically decided it was time to to, to do something else. Um, I was really excited at some of the projects I'd put together f- um, with the quartet. Um, but the actual creating the project was as exciting to me as maybe performing the project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, then Banff Center um, opportunity came along. They were looking for director of music programs. And uh, although I didn't imagine it for myself, I, I'd been writing some letters of recommendation for other people. And then in that process, um, I, 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 you know, I was quite oblivious to the fact that they were asking me if I was interested. And it was only when, <laughs> okay. yeah, it was like literally uh, my wife Robin saw a note that they had sent me and she's like, okay, they're asking you if you'd be interested in applying like oh but i'm in the quartet she's like yeah well you'd have to leave the quartet and right oh. so then i did make that decision to um to leave the quartet and, and to take that gig at, at, at banff and that was um that was a huge change i mean I, i'm sure you know massive so we walked out of a performance career and we uh, go to banff and um, Did you move to Toronto then? No, or you went straight to Banff. Straight to Banff, okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a massive life change. You know, yeah. our first child was born six weeks before we moved out there. In Banff, we bought our first house. We had, um, you know, had this job. And the job was was wonderful and enormous and full of potential. And, and I brought to that job... Um, the same energy and ownership I brought to my work in the St. Lawrence Quartet. And I think that's what Banff needed. Right. It, was, it was very sleepy when I got there. Mm. Um, it had this great reputation, and we needed to rekindle what was um, what was possible there. Yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> you know, just went, worked like, like crazy and had a great team, and we started to... Um, to rebuild it. So like in the classical programs, which were really famous when I was young, they were really sleepy by the time I got there in 2006. And mm-hmm. um, I said, well, first of all, we're doing, we're going back on the road, we're doing live auditions. I need to meet all these young people. I need, an, at every audition, is my chance to get them excited about Banff. Yeah. And, and for you, is there, because I, I really believe in, the, in, in this, in that you really get a sense of the person when you're live with them. Absolutely. It, it, is there a percentage of the audition for you that is live, like just 
personality, like person to person. Huge. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge part. Of course, you know, I can quickly tell in, in, in two, three minutes that they're great players. Yeah. But now, like, okay. why do they need yeah, that? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know? Sure. Um, and so we wanted to, um, I wanted to basically get people really excited again about Bounce Center. Yeah. And a lot of the history of Bounce Center was um, around uh, inviting the best faculty in the world to be teaching there. Right? Sure, That's yeah. like when I went there, these were legends we were studying with. So, um, so as a, one thing we did is we, we started doing these audition tours and we would audition in New York City at the Juilliard School. And I, right. uh, so I, I knew Juilliard because I'd gone there. Yeah. And I would go upstairs to the fifth floor where all the famous teachers are that I knew. And I would just knock on the door. Yeah, sure. The door would open. Bonnie, oh my God, it's Barry Schiffman. You know, uh, you remember me from the St. Lawrence? Oh, great. I said, oh, I'm at the Bounce Center. Biff, oh, I love, I said, well, actually, we're, yeah, we're auditioning downstairs. What? Oh, great. And so, you know, she would tell her cello class and they were all, and so within a couple of years, we had hundreds of people auditioning again. Sure, and, sure, and, sure. And, and okay, Re great. Revitalizing. Revitalizing. Yeah, so yeah. things are happening. But um, if you look at Banff Center, it, it's not Banff Center of classical music. It's right. Banff Center. Classical music was a big part of it. Right. But so was the, the jazz program. Yeah. And then, um, a ma young manager, um, Enza Appa at the time, a uh, wonderful um, a colleague of mine, uh, I, uh, she showed me an article in the New York Times on the indie band scene in Canada. And it was, um, you know, it was a lot about Arcade Fire and Bell Orchestra and that whole yeah. kind of Quebec yeah. um, art Kakua, scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how Some of my biggest influences. Right. And yeah. it, how just kick-ass it was. Yeah. And, and there's an entire article in the New York Times talking about this robust scene. And then she goes, you know, Bell Orchestra was in our program a few years ago in the kind of residency, which was really a Costco. I said, well, this is nuts. Like, why are we not doing more of this? Yeah. And, and that began um, BAMP Center's first ever indie band residency program. And I said, look, here's what I know. Mm. I know how to create a program. Mm. I don't know anything about indie bands. Right, right. So let's just follow the exact model of success of classical music and bands. And the success there was, let's get the best people in the world to do this. And so we did. Um, I can remember all the faculty names, but like Audio, Sean Everett. And, oh, uh, my gosh. You know, Sean was. Yeah, yeah. And yes. he had trained a band. Yeah. And <laughs> um, Howard Billerman yeah. from Montreal came as producer. Yeah. And other producers came. And... Um, and we embedded this indie band program at the same yeah. time that the classical music program was happening. So as an example, like if there was a, a group that was in the studio creating something and they needed string charts, I'm like, <laughs> hmm, I have some great string players. We don't have a chart writer. Mm. So I call from New York City, um, Lev Zherbenyova, this wonderful, I mean, unbelievable composer and gifted chart writer. And he would just spin the string charts, like, boom. And that was awesome. Yeah, wow. Um, and we had some really good, um, some really good young bands. Um, and, uh, and they created content out there. And then, and then you, wanted to, you wanted to share what they've done, right? But we have a bunch of soft seat theaters in, in Banff. And I'm like, this is going to be weird. Mm. Like, this would be so weird to just go into a theater and have like, this is not the scene. Like, this is, <laughs> yeah. it, it's not conducive to what they've written. So we, we um, 
we rented out Wild Bill's Pub downtown Banff, which was a, a was basically a you know a big um, presenter of, of bands. Yeah, and uh, and that's where the end of um, residency performance was. We had about three hundred people attending, listening, dancing, moving, and we um, got CBC to broadcast it live, which was fantastic. So yeah, yeah. Um, and that That's, that that you know eventually grew into a much bigger. I, I, I you know after my time there it grew into a bigger um, program. Um, yes, and that's and I, I don't know if you you'd be happy to, to to learn this about me, but I know Bam Center as more of that. Oh yeah, interesting. So that, <laughs> you know that's the his, that's then, the origins. Yeah, then then the then the classical music center. Yeah, um, I have yeah. a bunch of friends that have now gone through that program and yeah. um, love to would love to do that uh, one day. What do you think about like uh, diversifying your portfolio or diversifying your skills versus um, the idea of being like the master of one kind of thing? The master of one versus the master of none. Yeah, um, yeah. And diversifying your resume, your portfolio, but also your skills as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's not such a new idea. I was reading about Bach yeah. the other day, and you know, they, the guy had multiple jobs, including he was a piano salesman. You like you were selling <laughs> keyboards, right? Like, um, yeah, it was that was survival. Like, if he of, was selling, right? Cubes, so, yeah, no, selling. I think um, uh, yeah, I was hanging out recently with the wonderful violinist I, I mentioned to you earlier, Ray Chen. Who's yes. you know, Ray is um, a magnificent artist, um, enormous career. You know, you, you look him up online. This is one of the most followed class musicians in the world. Millions and millions of. Uh, hits on any of his videos. Um, he is um, completely uh, involved in all aspects of career, mm. not just in playing, um, but actively working and managing and thinking of smart uses of social media, creating new apps, um, creating an app called Tonic, which is um, which is basically creating community for people that are practicing. Yeah. So you're sure. practicing, you know, Matt's practicing and I can pop into your room and give you comments and listen. And okay. Yeah. So very, very, um, uh, involved, involved. In, and, in various aspects. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, because of the, uh, the nature of technology, like, um, what you're able to do at home now, uh, in terms of composing and arranging and sharing, The more you know, the more you can do. Yeah. The more employable you are, the better off you are. Mm -hmm. And and um, do you think that was always the case? Because now, in my mind, the more diverse you are, the more. You're, I think you're it was get always. The, yeah, I think it was always the case. Yeah. But there was a celebration of specialization. I yes. think that is 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 less now. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, Interesting, and and people are doing, doing it all. Yeah, um, <laughs> they need to. They need to, and yeah. you know, in, in the classical uh, curriculum, things have to change. Um, you know, as a as a most basic thing, we don't teach. Um, we don't do much uh, teaching of improvisation. Why? Mm -hmm. Because most of the faculty don't improvise. 
And most of the faculty, like me, make decisions, and we don't do it, so we don't teach it. Well, that's that's going to change. Right, right. Um, I can tell you this story, uh, uh, you know, um, um, for fun, sometimes I'll, I'll do gigs in town that are, uh, you know, that you don't want to pass up. So um, one of my, my good friends, Roberto Capinte, who's a big um, uh, musician in town, jazz musician, a big uh, booker of, of shows, you know, he sent me, you know, he, he said, hey, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder's coming and I'm putting the band together, the string section, and uh, you, know, you, you probably want to, I'm like, I'm in, right? <laughs> so it's not like so much fun, like, you know. Of course. Of course, who doesn't want to be on stage with Stevie Wonder, right? So, um, and it's, you know, there's simple charts and, you know, you know. Sure, sure, yeah. Okay, fine. So, so he puts together a really good string band and 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 show up and you throw on headphones and, okay. Um, but I could have sat anywhere, but luckily I didn't sit in the chair two to the right because, um, you know, in the middle of the show, Stevie just goes, <laughs> right? And just gestures to the, uh, the violinist who's, you know, leading the, I mean, the, Anybody can lead the band. There's no real leading, right? Right in that particular, you know, have headphones on you. Somebody's yeah, yeah. talking you down. Right, you're in an eight bar, seven, six, three, yeah. in, right? I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> okay, so you know, Eric Canis or whatever they call. Had I sat there, <laughs> this would be the end of my life, right? Now, <laughs> as I would be expected to stand up in front of and. Now, I'm a really good musician. You think I should be able to improvise? You know, I would have been. Paralyzed. Luckily, Drew Drecka, an extraordinary um, jazz, um, classical composer, arranger, stood up and just smoked it. Right, right, right. You know, and you, and you saw Stevie look over and his, he's like, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Like, that was <laughs> yeah. good. That was good. Yeah. We should all be able to do that. Right, 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 right. Um, that was a really great that was a great gig, I have to say. Like the, um, <laughs> I'm sure it was so I, fun, I, I, and, yeah, and, well, and 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 this hasn't come up before, by the way. His band, <laughs> his his that he hires is like forget the string players that are just put together in Toronto, but his core group that he travels with, yeah, they're just so smoking hot, right? Right. In terms of like they're 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 really great. Stevie, yeah, yeah. He's like I'm sure they're yeah, all yeah, the, the yeah, best, yeah. right? What I was really impressed with with him is he wanted to rehearse. Can yeah, you imagine yeah. this guy? Like like why? Sure. Like, sure. why is he rehearsing? He's played this a bazillion times, mm -hmm. but no, Stevie Wonder walks out on stage and he rehearses. Yeah, I thought, oh, this is cool. Where were where were the rehearsals held? It was just just on stage, on stage. Yeah, yeah. Prior to doors. Prior right? to yeah, um, and uh, he also like he also um, took the time to say hello to every single member in the string section mm. like just a mensch like he's a it was it was impressive yeah. old school kindness and 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 the music that, and and he plays right like yeah he plays there's no like um there's no ghost track oh yeah, yeah, yeah. none sure, of that sure, you know because sure. we've all seen those shows too we're like Wait, what's actually happening? Is anything actually happening on the stage that we're actually hearing in those speakers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Sure, sure. But <laughs> yeah. no, he was, mm -hmm. it was, it was slick. When was this? Um, we did two shows. Because uh, um, he came and he came the next year. Cause he, oh, okay, um, okay. Uh, so it would have been like, I don't know, 2000, 
somewhere 12, 13, 14. Okay, okay, okay. About 10 years ago. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. It's, it's really awesome. Yeah, it was just Songs in the Key of Life tour. And it, oh, it just my did, gosh, he, yeah. It's all the classics. And yeah. he, did, he did two shows. He's The next time he did two shows. Awesome. Rockport. <laughs> yeah, Rockport. You, 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 your, I mean, your expression says it all yeah. for you. This is like your new, or not? Yeah, well, new, it was. But... It, it feels sort of new still because I started. I did um, basically two summers, and then we we had the pandemic. So yeah. of course we, we we worked through that. But it was mm-hmm. um, so Rockport. Let me tell you what Rockport. So first of all, Rockport is a is a magnificent little town in New England on Cape Ann. So just basically straight north of Boston. Yeah, you fly into Boston, you drive forty five minutes north. You're on the coast, and it's, it's you know, picture-perfect, idyllic little town of little shops and lobster traps and just just beautiful. Right. right? Really lovely, lovely place. And I used to go there with the St. Lawrence Quartet 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And they had a little summer chamber music festival. Like I said earlier, like festivals were um, popping up all over North America. Mm-hmm. But you'd go, you'd play like a, a concert on a Friday and a Sunday – it was in this little um, building called the Art Association and amateur artists hanging artwork. And then the, the volunteers that ran the organization would like move in the 200 chairs. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. you know, somebody would make, you know, cookies for that post-concert reception. It was very like mom and pop sort of, yeah, you yeah, know, sure. high-end concerts, like good performers, mm-hmm. but, um, and all about the music. Right. The room was unair conditioned. It was blistering hot you're like sweating <laughs> yeah um at the time it was just one one room kind yeah of thing. one yeah. room and it was a you know fun gig you blow in and you blow out and it was okay um and then um after i stopped working in banff they revisioned the programs um i went to visit um, jeff my, my buddy and, mm-hmm. and he's like you know so what are you gonna do now in the summers you know you gotta you gotta i mean you gotta find something that, that you know i said no actually jeff i i'm happy to have the summer off like i, I yeah i worked course, like yeah. Ah, you got. You should apply for that Rockport job. I'm like, what are you talking about? What Rockport job? He's like, you know, Rockport. You know, they're they're looking for an artistic director. And I'm like, Rockport, massive, like where we used to play in yeah. that hot room. Right, right. With the cookies. I, yeah, I said, <laughs> Jeff. Like, uh, yeah, those are nice concerts. I don't want to. I'm not really interested in in you know presenting concerts in that. He said, what have you been doing for the last ten years? Remember, they talked about wanting to build a hall. They built it. It's the best hall in the world. Like, it's phenomenal. They built this incredible concert space. I'm like, whoa, that's, I had no idea. So I look it up. Unbelievable what they built. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm applying for this. Right, right, right. Apply for the job. Fine. Um, was invited to uh, to take that job. And and so they built um, a 330-seat concert hall on the ocean with the best acousticians, best architects, Back wall is glass, so the audience is looking at the ocean. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And they have um, a really committed board mm. that are generous and um, thoughtful and professional, and they have yeah. resources. Um, they hold no debt on the building. They built the thing. And um, it was amazing. So in addition to – so my role there is – overseeing all the classical music. Yeah. And the classical music is the core of the organization because that's where it started from. But they do all sorts of other stuff. Like, I mean, the, the night before my first concert, Gordon Lightfoot was there. 
Right, right. Right, so singer-songwriters, bands, jazz, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Classic music's core. So I, I run a five-week festival in the summer and usually one concert a month um, outside of the summer. Um, and we'll be, I'll be heading there um, in a few days. And, um, and you know what festivals are. Anyway, it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's full on. Uh, we yeah. do about five, four or five shows a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're there from early much, June yeah, to till middle of July. Middle of July. Yeah. Wow, wow. And, and wonderful, wonderful artists coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does your year look like in general in, in, in terms of programming the festival, the, the month festival? You said that you're also, pro- it's one concert a month as well? Yeah, I do. So um, generally, I, I do one concert a month um, in Rockport from about September. And that is. And you um, head down there as well. I, and, yeah, I'll, I'll fly. Yeah. You know, that's quite easy. I'll, I'll fly in for most of those concerts. I'll take a early morning yeah, Porter, Porter flight and, <laughs> yeah. and a late night return. But um, yeah, those those concerts are fun to do. Um, and uh, and that's more booking. Um, right. As opposed to too much active curating because it's just the one a month, um, but the festival itself, um, there you are, um, you're really curating the festival. You're putting together the programs. You're putting mm-hmm. together, um, as a you know, let's say we're doing a program of whatever, Bach, you know. So who's playing? Which concerto? But what what project? Which so you know who's? Um, so that <laughs> you're really overseeing the whole um, the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are you uh, so I guess I because I'm not coming from that world I don't necessarily know how to formulate this question but are does the does the festival <laughs> are you are there like um, are you is there a sense of like pushing boundaries and before, it's a great before, question before great before qu- yep. I even I a little bit of context in a lot of the pop world we see a lot of like oh uh these collaborations and one time only this is going to be, it, it will be this band with this artist and, or these people are getting together for this one time only event at uh, <laughs> it's a weird example, but at Coachella or something. Yeah. 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 Um, are there any, is it pretty just standard programming where you're, you're, you're programming the festival and everybody knows what's going on months ahead of time or are there, I don't know, secret, uh, like announcements, programming, like the that week of so we're going to be announcing. Like so this. you're you're actually in, I I'm I'm getting inspired by that whole idea. Yeah, yeah that you're yeah. putting forward, which is which is so smart. Um, which is to have some um kind of surprise announcements that or people don't know who's coming in on Sunday afternoon. And it's <laughs> I don't know, Yoma or something. Matt, you <laughs> should be not, you yeah. should you should be like involved in presenting classical music because it, it gets really staid and boring and we could we could use some of that. Yeah. Um but um I haven't done that where I haven't announced, but I, I love that idea. Um there are definitely um so in terms of pushing the boundaries, um I'll push as far as I'm allowed to push. Yeah. Um and and each organization has different comfort zones and sure. um what I have found is that most of the um, resistance to any boundary pushing isn't really met with the reality of reaction when the project is presented. So actually people really like new. 
people really like different, people really like boundaries being pushed once they're in it. Mm, sure. So, but, um, but only once they're in it. Well, yeah, exactly. Okay. So my first concert at the festival um, in 2018, I wanted to announce that, yes, I'm going to push, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still going to be in the context of our safe. So we opened with um, with a, a work of Tchaikovsky that everybody knows and loves. It's a string sextet. It's fantastic. And I was playing, and, oh, but he plays, that's great. And it's A-list group, and it's, everything's, our world is, we got the right guy, our world is perfect. Everything's sure, fine. Sure. And then it was intermission. And after intermission, what they didn't know is we hired lighting designer, sound design, and the next work was um, this piece called Aire, A-Y-R-E, by the Argentinian-born uh, composer Osvaldo Godajoff, um, an unbelievably gifted writer, very, very well-known, does a lot, of, um, a lot of works that bring together different sounds from different uh, cultures, writes film scores for Francis Ford Coppola. Like, he's a really interesting dude. Mm. And so this... This cycle of songs that he's written called Ire um, are for soprano and they're sung in Hebrew, Ladino, English, Spanish, um, uh, Arabic. Yeah. And the instrumentation is um, what we call hypercord, so like digital, uh, digital amplified accordion, uh, French horn, klezmer clarinet, viola, incredible percussion part, mm. harp. Um, so a wild band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And eclectic, to say, eclectic the, to say and, the least. <laughs> and just mesmerizing, beautiful, and sound world. And I think it, it was a big kind of statement um, of what we could do there and, and it was well received um, and we'll continue to do more I think the programming this year is maybe a little more conservative just post-COVID I think people are a little bit skittish of yeah. scaring audiences that being said I am bringing um, as a composer in residence um, Mark Applebaum who um, if your listeners um, want to have fun they should check out Mark Applebaum's TED Talk Like this is a whack oh, yeah. out creative artist most of his composition, a lot of his compositions are are, are um, graphic notation. Um, I mean, this is the furthest out it gets. This is sure, super sure. far out, contemporary, weird, crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's hysterical. Mm. He's so fun to work with. Um, and we have a late night cabaret of his contemporary music, which is um, we're going to have different groups interpreting um, excerpts from this big, large graphic notation piece. One will be a brass ensemble. One is like just, there's one piece that we're doing, which is a kind of game, almost like um, a chance procedure type piece, um, which is all dictated by these wristwatches that have graphic notation that all of us are wearing. You don't have to be musicians to, to do the piece. You just have to be able to do the rehearsal. Well, So we're gonna have members of the board, members of the public, maybe a policeman in town. All of this late night cabaret doing this weird, whacked repertoire of Mark Applebaum. Um, and on that late night cabaret, there might also be um, 
that contemporary super contemporary piece and then a work of Bach and then that super contemporary piece and sure. then a work of Gershwin. Like the idea of cabaret, I think space is so nice. You know, you're at your table, you're having your drink and anything is possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, looking forward yeah, to, it should be fun. to that. Um, I, there's some people listening from like all, all the, obviously I can't tell right now, but um, from a map from my analytics that I have, uh, there's some people from the East Coast of... of oh, of, yeah, come of, check it um, out. Of the state, so yeah, please, yeah, and of course, inviting you as well to to uh, share this podcast with uh, some some. Oh, we yeah, we will absolutely and... put it forward. Yeah, if you want, you know, you want information on the program, is just go to rockportmusic.org. Um, all the concerts are up there. There's also a number of of um, concerts that we share on our YouTube channel. If you can't make it, we yeah we record a lot of it and just put it out for yeah. um, for enjoyment. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, you showed me a, a picture of the concert hall, and it's it really is. Uh, it's Amazing. pretty magical, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, I can be on stage rehearsing, mm-hmm. I can look out the window, and I can see my family on the beach. Sure. Like, right under the <laughs> hall. I'm like, okay, this is cool. Yeah. It's awesome. And typically not something that you would hear or see from a concert right. hall, specifically in classical music. Right. Um, it's great. We're heading into this uh, general questions topic. These are just very open questions for you. As an internationally renowned violinist, what do you believe are the key factors that contribute to a successful career in the music industry? I know we've touched upon it, on it a little bit, but now, what do you believe are some, some of the key factors? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there are a number of things. First of all, um, consistency. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so simple, but... Um, it's incredibly competitive, the space. So bringing your A game, being prepared. Um, it goes without saying that you have something original to say, and that you're, but, but bringing your A game. So when you go to a, you know, when you're interacting with whoever, whatever concert organization, um, they don't care that you're tired. They don't care that you've been yeah. on. That's the gig. Yeah, yeah. Bring it. Yeah, yeah. Um, bring it in all of your interactions with the organization. Yeah. And and it goes so far. Um, and the the other thing that I would say um, has become more and more and more important is um, the ability to reach out from the stage and project sure. um, an aura of of um, of community of sharing. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. And things go, you know, th- pendulum swings. Like if you look at um, Classical music performances from the 1920s and 30s, there was an expectation that you never did that. You know, yes, exactly. The yeah. kind of... Fourth wall. Right. Yeah, and yeah. that was expected and... Yeah. That, no, yeah, that's yeah. not cool anymore. And people, to come back to what we were saying earlier, people are expecting that community, a sense of community, a sense of engagement yeah. as well. They want to know who's on stage now. Exactly. And I think, like, especially in the pop world, uh, even jazz world, whichever world that you're coming yeah. from, a lot of people, and because of the social media stuff is um, they want to know that you know them too. And there's like this sense of like sense of cycle in that sense of like, okay, we're all here together. Let's, let's, let's acknowledge that. Yeah. People are looking for that now. It's why, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing because you have these, you know, you have these devices, right. And, and we're all, we all do it. We're on it all day. Mm -hmm. And so it's removed us from our existing community, our immediate community. Yeah. 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 But we're on this all day because we're desperately seeking community. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and it's a vicious. I don't know where this. <laughs> I don't know where this ends. This is definitely not the solution. Yeah. Um, but we got to this. However, we got there, and it. Um, I think has started to highlight the immediate need for an analog community experience. Yes, yeah. Not to replace this, mm -hmm. but this can't replace um, live that, performance. Live performance, yeah. It just no, can't. yeah. I think throughout this podcast process, we've been talking recently a lot about AI and mm. ChatGPT and oh, yeah. um, a lot of the more uh yeah artificial intelligence yes. technology that's coming in and uh be I, wild yeah i think a lot of the talk is okay how do we prevent that from taking over our world but also i've been thinking about and i've been sharing my thoughts on um how that backlash will also create a s more space for the live world i think so um because people are are, are craving that sense of community and that, that sense of live engagement now um and I think with, with the rise of, of that technology, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. But, you know, it'll change a bit, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. Give and take on that one. But, uh, yeah. Um, another question, um, and going into maybe some advice, tips. Um, what advice would you give to aspiring musicians, maybe even some students of yours, um, who are just starting their careers in, in terms of building a solid foundation and establishing themselves in the industry today? Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it, you know, I, I could give you all sorts of advice of, you know, but my, I, I would keep it really simple, which yeah, is, yeah. um, be nice. I, I mean, it, it sounds like ridiculously oh, simple. Oh, no. It's right? uh, one of the terms I'll use often on the podcast, and it's quoted to me sometimes by people listening. It's don't be an asshole, yeah. which is often what I say. Yeah, as well. don't be an asshole. And, yeah. and you know, the thing is, um, there was a time where being an asshole um, was was part of, you know, was was okay. It was almost like bragging rights. Sure. Know, yeah, and yeah, shares, yeah. No. Is it expected. Actually, expected, yeah. yeah. No, be nice. Be on time, be prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, always. Yeah. And everything else flows. Um, and then I would say, um, be curious. Just be curious. Um, because where you think your career is going is definitely not where it's going. <laughs> sure, like that, sure. that, that's a, that's a hundred percent given. Um, be curious and exploit all of the strange um, happenstance type sources of inspiration and people you meet, mm -hmm. um, and that's where your career is going. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we do um, have a tendency, I think, to lose our sense of curiosity because we're so focused on our on our um, what's right in front of right us. in front of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing. I will um, head into this new uh, topic here. Um, Dream Fest game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so last week we uh, had uh, my friend Sarah on, who works at Live, works at Live Nation um, at Budweiser Stage, and we did this new game um, called Dream Fest. Now, once a week, most of the time, uh, we play a game here. Okay. Um, and for you this week, we thought about doing this this game again. Um, very simple. I give you this board. 
there's a couple like very like just general top or just general categories here mm-hmm. basically asking you to create this dream festival mm. of dead or alive um oh, wow. people um now here i have for the people watching at home and for the people listening uh who would be headlining the festival the second headline and then maybe an opener or maybe for you in your case maybe it's three 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 different acts maybe in one evening wow um now where where the concert would be when it would be the attendance the demographics the ticket price <laughs> and whether there'd be special guests wow that's cool that's now I'll, yeah. I'll give you i'll give you some time for this uh, i'll be editing this 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 time out but i'll give um Barry, some time to think about that, and you can write on the board if you'd like. Um, but we'll 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 come back to it in a minute. Cool. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're back with Barry Shipman. This is the twentieth episode of the Cloud Machine Podcast. Thanks for joining. Um, so we have this new game called Dream Fest here, and Barry was very excited to fill this board out. Now I'll I'll uh, hold it up for you, so you can talk to us about uh, your your choices here. Um, so headline. Yeah, man, I'm I'm really excited about this festival. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be extraordinary. <laughs> I, I think this is gonna bring um, bring the city together. Okay. In a time of of you know incredible um, need. It's gonna be part of the recovery program for um, for COVID recovery and just basically recovery in general because this um the city needs it. And so. Um, Thanks to your generosity, Matt, <laughs> we went big. Yeah, um, and yeah. we wanted we wanted um, we wanted artists that that speak to all sorts of of, of people, multi yes. multi ethnic, multi generational, um, multi genre. So um, uh, Stevie and Mozart are 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 <laughs> headlining. You, you know, they, they in fact uh, they are currently working together on a number of projects, and they've really they've really hit off. Um, right. This well, is awesome. They're partiers. Uh, they're, 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 they're both geniuses, and, and they know how to have a good time. And uh, they're both writers, and they're also performers. And um, I, I, sparks are going to fly. I mean, <laughs> where else are you going to see Stevie Wonder with Mozart but at the new Ontario Place Amazing. Festival? Um, wow. And, and I'm excited the government of Ontario actually um, did scrap that ridiculous plan of turning Ontario Place into a spa mm. and has, has returned to their original vision of making it a place for the people Right. Um, and rebuilding the stage, um, and and uh, making it a destination. So um, it's, it could be produced by the government of Ontario, and of course, as a result, ticket prices um, are already covered in your taxes. So it's going to be free. So come <laughs> come to Ontario Place, um, and 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 hang with Stevie and Mozart. Um, and we've got a we've got a really interesting headliner um, who's coming back, um, having been 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 dead for many gen- uh, decades. The great violinist Tasha Zidel. and Tasha. Um, you, you you don't know Tasha except um, if you listen to any Hollywood films or or cartoons from uh, from the 30s and 40s. He's that um, incredible violinist that you hear in the background. Um, one of the great violinists of all time. Um, his violin uh, that he used during his career just sold at auction for about 15 million dollars, and and incredibly, wow. um, it's being loaned to the festival. So you get to hear <laughs> Tasha's Strad that was just sold at auction in New York just a few weeks ago. Amazing um, and. Uh, uh, the festival um, is so good mm. that we can't wait. So it's actually it's starting now, and attendance. Yes, everyone's everyone's welcome. Demographics, indeed, lots of demographics. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. every everybody's there. Everybody's there, and and um, 
you know, a bit of a self-promoter, um, and I had doubts about bringing him, but um, his music's so powerful, and he he just wouldn't stop calling. He was so excited to hang with Stevie and Mozart. Um, so so Leonard Bernstein is coming um, as our special guest. We're going to limit limit him just to to one night. Yeah. Um, I think that's about as much as we can take. But, uh, you know, another extraordinary genius. Um, and as I say, he just he wouldn't stop calling. So right. We, we put him on, on, the, on the docket. Amazing. Matt, thank you for this opportunity. Oh, of course. But there's also the Royal Conservatory Orchestra. Well, the second headline, yeah. I mean, you know, Ontario Place is, is a remarkable stage, as you know, and, and the sound system's great. And, and we're always looking for opportunity uh, for our young artists. Yes. Um, you know, I, I don't think I mentioned this, but in May of, of 24, they're, they're going to be at Carnegie Hall. Um, and I go. think... Um, you know they are ready for the big stage, and and they're ready to um, to meet the big guy, the, to meet Mozart. And, and, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, time is now. Let's there, go. The the time is now. Well, thanks, Barry. This is amazing. I'm sure. I hope we get to put this one on. Well, uh, that's why I'm, you you have a lot of connections. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazing. We'll have to talk to uh, the government of Ontario for this one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. That's how we conclude the uh, the episode. So thank thanks, you, Matt. Thanks Pleasure. for coming. And um, it's so great to speak to your origin story, but also all the projects that you've uh, you've done throughout your years. And I, I mean, I hope the uh, I hope the bio in the beginning wasn't too daunting for yeah, you. That was that was daunting. More daunting was uh, the fact that most of my career happened before you were born. That's okay. <laughs> no, 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 not most of your career. Just, just I think it was. I think there was a '98. I think you saw at Stratford. Stanford, yeah. Stanford, sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was um, yeah. I'm I'm 99. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, thank All right, you, then. everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's been the 20th episode of the uh, Cloud Machine Podcast. Thanks again. <laughs>